And welcome back to the For Film State podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Archija, and this is... Christopher Lucky. And I am getting better at doing that intro every episode. I think I so. Like I got I a little so. better at it. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Uh, all right, so today's episode, we're going to talk about two really, really good movies from oh, the Coen yes. Brothers. Uh, we each picked a movie from the Coen Brothers, mm -hmm. and I picked Barton Fink with uh -huh. John Goodman and what the dude's name? John Muhaney? Uh, with Barton Fink, John Muhaney and John Goodman, I think. Uh, Barton Fink, uh, John Totoro, John right. Goodman, and a few other people. So I picked that movie, and I thought it's a perfect, it's a, like a perfect example of early Coen Brothers. Mm -hmm. And you picked... I picked the movie directly after that. The, right. The movie that they did after that was a Hudsucker Proxy. I didn't know it was directly after. The very next movie. That is did. such a huge contrast in filmmaking styles. Exactly. Uh, that's fucking fascinating to me. But before we do any of that, let's do our little catch-up. The what catch-up. the fuck has been up, dude? I feel like the last couple of weeks have been just like... <sighs> and we're just kind of like getting a breather now it is it is i've been like trying to ignore it completely because i mean it's, it's it is a lot and it's overwhelming but i'm trying to like block it out and be like mr positive positive everything <laughs> right yeah. good energy and all that stuff you know good karma good fucking feng shui whatever yeah. the fuck people want to call it yep i've been the same way i like after i had an anxiety attack about three weeks ago because mm -hmm. of like the way shit works out yeah and after that i just been like i just i can't i just gotta not be, be anxious about it be so worried about it yeah can't be concerned overly concerned yeah so now i'm just kind of living life and and figuring it out yeah but uh we've been working really hard the last couple of weeks yes I mean, it's been yes, insane. yes definitely so and we've been learning a lot of cool shit at the school yeah it, it's, it's been exciting it is uh what have you been up to um like i said the week I've, I've done so much this week that i'm trying to block out but one thing specifically um that i feel like i need to talk about mm -hmm. um and it's, it's a bit of a downer it is a oh, bit of shit, a downer. I'm sorry. It really is. Um, all right. According to CNN, uh, the report they did in 2013, they're saying that one out of every three women experience physical or sexual abuse in their lifetime. Yeah. Now it's one in every four. I and think that's the latest system. statistic. Yeah. yeah. That was a 2013 statistic. And I'm looking at one out of every three. You know, there's three people. There's three guys in this room. Me, you, right. and Brent. He's uh, watching from the sideline right now. And just imagine that type of statistic. He just know? waved, by yeah. the way. Yeah. But um, what, what brought it up to me was um, I, I was sitting in the film cage and uh, a girl, I was telling her about, you know, back to the, like, the action episode, I was talking about uh, opening up and um, stopping with the small chit-chat uh, bullshit talks and actually talking about something that matters. Yeah, having an actual conversation. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, was, uh, I, I was telling her about my very first girlfriend that I ever had, you know, mm -hmm. from being 14, 15, and 16, and the puppy love and all that stuff starting out. And we told each other that we were going to save our virginity for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, that was going to be our thing. And then we, we went off to college and we went to separate colleges. Mm -hmm. And during this whole time, we're still keeping our virginity tight. You know, mm -hmm. no nothing, you know, and I'm holding to my ground too, you know, same way. And our first semester, freshman year, she gives me a call at like one o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she said she'd been raped. Oh, that's a fucking. Yeah. Um, and it, it was somebody that's, that I just cared for so immensely. So yeah. I mean, the first thing that you think of is call the police right we got to get something fucking done you know like i'm just shattered mm -hmm. you know and she tells me about and i'm like how why she's like what's going on you know so she says the um that she went up for a visit for another school at georgia southern mm -hmm. a school that she wanted to go to and there was a boxer there who had been boxing for about four or five years he was three or four years older than than Damn. her yeah so um she said that she really hit it off with him 
and her friend, she had a friend with her, and they decided they didn't have anywhere to stay on the campus, so they were going to stay in his dorm room with him. Right. You know, so I, in my mind, as a male, I'm like, this sounds sketchy. Like, what yeah, the hell? You know, absolutely. But, uh, you know, just that, but that's my one perception. This is how I'm, I'm going to get to how this all changed in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, um, and uh, she's, she's, then not, not only that, she slept in that bed with him. She mm-hmm. slept in the bed with the boxer that was four or five years older than her, mm-hmm. and she was a virgin. And then when she, she called me and then told me that she got raped, and then my, one of my instincts was to call the, say call the police, and she was saying no, and so mm-hmm. adamant about not calling the police or letting anybody else know about it, then my brain was fucked up. So mm-hmm. I'm like, one, is like, I can't be the person to blame the victim. Right. You know, like, no matter what, I can't be that person, but who who, who am I now? You know, because right. if she's telling me not to intervene, not to, am I, am I going to be the person calling her a liar like who lies about something like that you don't right most well, of the time you know and it's, it's super complicated because this brings up a lot of issues about like because it's embarrassing yes it's it's humiliating yes you gotta admit that at some point you had a lapse of judgment yes and like the psychology of it is it's really debilitating mm-hmm. and that's what's the hardest part about it as someone that's watching from the sidelines yeah uh, like as a guy i have a lot of like lady friends yeah and as a guy, my biggest fear is that one day I'm going to get a call from one of them and having that happen. Yeah. Because, I mean, you want to be there for them, but it's such a it's such a common occurrence yeah. that no one around you deals with. That's true. And it's it's, it's terrifying. Um, but that's, that's really the only thing that you can do is, like, you have to be there for the person. Yeah. And if you are a friend of a victim and they tell you not to call the police... Mm. I am of the opinion that I don't care if that person doesn't want me to call the police. Mm. I will call the police. Yeah. I may, may, she may be angry at me. They may hate me after it. Yeah. But I feel like I can't let someone that did that walk away you know, without their consequences if I know I'm in the right time frame to prevent that from happening again. Yeah. And this, this is where it comes around for me now because back then, I, like I said, I didn't know which person to be. Mm-hmm. I, did, I was eight, barely 18 years old. And all of this is hitting me, so I walked away from it completely. Right. I completely walked away from this entire situation because I didn't know how to behave or what to do. Right. You know? And, and a lot of people react like that, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's just they didn't know how to process it. I didn't. So you just, your brain just went like, I can't deal with this. I couldn't, you know, because I'm like, I can't blame her. I can't, what, like, what do I do? I can't, I don't know what to do here. You mm-hmm. know, and she's not, I'm not being allowed to do anything. Right. You know, and I can't just pretend like everything is the same. You know, it's a very large elephant in the room. But um, I was telling this story to um, to a lady that was at my job a couple of days ago mm-hmm. and how odd it was and peculiar. And then she says she tells me a story that is eerily similar to that, mm-hmm. how she let a, a guy into her bed. And and in my mind, it's like and I'm being very candid with her. I'm mm-hmm. like, how would you allow a person in your bed in the middle of the night knowing that something like that could happen? You know, being mm-hmm. the same cynical asshole yeah. personality. But then I, I thought about it. Then I was like, you know what? That's not a thought. That was not a thought. When she allowed, when when the girl, that girl back then got in that boxer's bed, mm-hmm. the thought wasn't, oh, I'm about to get raped. Right. It wasn't, oh, I'm about to be abused. The same yeah. thing with this girl that allowed this guy into her bed. That wasn't a thought. In her mind, she's with somebody that she trusts and somebody mm-hmm. that is safe. That's why it's so humiliating as yeah. a person for you to accept that. Yeah. Because it is a lapse in judgment. Mm-hmm. But it's not anyone's fault. Exactly. It's yeah. just, well, well, it's not anyone's fault that she was the victim. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the guy's the guy's a piece of shit exactly. and he deserves to be punished for whatever he did because yes. he's a kind of a cunt. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so like it it really is a, a huge gray area most of the time, but 
I mean, you were 18 and you didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, so. yeah. But I mean, it, it's just odd, you know, 10, 12 years later and finally coming to terms with something that was so dramatic mm-hmm. back then. And, 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 and even like me dealing with something that didn't even happen to me. Yeah. It was just the realization of how much of an adolescent I was, I guess. Well, that's what you being know? a person is, right? Yeah. You do something when you're 18 and then when you're 28, you just go like, oh, fuck. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. And then you adjust in the next decade, and hopefully that doesn't happen again. Yeah. But to part away from that, uh, the most important thing that you can do for anyone that's a victim of any sort of abuse, mm-hmm. emotional, psychological, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. anyone that's in a situation that's that shitty, yeah. is that if you can help them get out of it, mm-hmm. do it even if they hate you, Yeah. because they will later come to appreciate it, and always be there for them. Yeah. Do not victimize them. Mm-hmm. Do not blame them for what's happening. Nope. Always keep an open mind, hug them when they need it, mm-hmm. and just make sure that their boundaries are overly respected when they're around you. Yes. So that they feel comfortable enough to trust someone else so that they can get out of that situation. Yes, yes. Never, never make the bigger deal out of it than it needs to be. Mm. Treat it as something that needs to be dealt with, but don't make a spectacle about it. And and this is something that needs, there needs to be an open conversation about yeah. it, you know, because like I said, I've seen that stat, like I, I knew that these things happen in our world, you right. know, but a one to three and like you said, one to four, one yeah. to four, there, you know how many women are in my family? Here's you know the, how many women, how many aunts I have, mother, grandmother, right. sisters, and one of those people have been a victim of physical or sexual abuse. Yeah. At least one. At least one of them. You know? And it, it, it and to prove your point, I mean, it does happen. There's people in my family that have dealt with this. Yes, yes. And I've had to find out, and it's been upsetting. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Yeah. So, like, it just, I don't know why it happens. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how people can get to a point where they do something that twisted mm-hmm. and, like, take away something from someone that's as valuable as one's dignity and sanity. Yes. I don't know how people can do that and be so selfish. Yeah. But it happens, and it happens to one in every four people. That's so sad. And... And even even men go go through this. True, that's but that's true. an underreported statistic. It's it a whole other set of stigmas. Yeah. So to get off of that that point mm-hmm. uh, on a little bit of a high road, mm-hmm. anyone that you know, be open minded. Yes. Listen to them. Yeah. Let them talk it out. Mm-hmm. Do what needs to be done, even if they hate you for it. Yeah. Call whoever needs to be called. Deal with it appropriately, and make sure they can trust at least one person. I like to put something in the link on this mm-hmm. episode, you know, about uh, reporting any kind of domestic violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse. We should, there's a couple of hotlines that we yeah. should put in the in the in the link. I think so. I totally, I totally dig that. Oh yeah. Um, in other news, happy stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, just to, the last thing about that: if you are dealing with anyone and mm-hmm. or any of these things, and you don't know who to reach out to, mm-hmm. uh, feel free. To a lot of our listeners are on Facebook. Yeah. Feel free to message any one of us independently. Yep. Feel free to tweet at us independently. We'll figure you out. We'll help you out. Definitely so. Uh, definitely, cool. Definitely. On other news. Mm-hmm. Uh, Game of Thrones, bro. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Hold the fucking door. <laughs> oh, yeah. That shit was fucking epic. That We're going to give a 30-second rundown. Uh, Bran, he was um, he was off in his little fantasy world looking at flashbacks. He sees the ice, ice walkers. One of the ice walkers touches him. Now he's able to locate him inside of the um, where the three-eyed raven is. Mm-hmm. The guy inside of the tree, his ass dies. Bran is on the way out. They're trying to protect Bran. They got to hold the door. So what you going to hold the door with? Fucking Hodor. 
Yep. Fucking Hodor. Fucking Bran is back in the past and he sees Hodor as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old and he's wondering why Hodor can only say one word when in the past Hodor can say everything. Yeah. And then he finally realizes because his interference with the past is what triggered him to have that, that seizure and become Hodor from then on out. Right. But that, I, I don't even watch Game of Thrones. Mm. That was a fucking bummer. To oh watch. man! I watched that scene specifically. That was a fucking bummer. Yeah, it's like yeah. well, so I love how the how it was shot because his entire adult life mm-hmm. he's he's been glassy behind the eyes and just a Hodor. Are you hungry right now, Hodor? Should we go eat eggs or bacon, Hodor? You yeah. know, it's just just <laughs> been that. And then finally, at the very end, when he he makes a conscious decision to give his life, mm-hmm. like he's no longer the the post-seizure person who can't make formulate words anymore mm-hmm. this is a full-grown adult man who is making the conscious decision to give his life for this other person right and you know you never got to see him as that throughout the entire and show hold or as the thing that he says because that's his last words were hold the door is that what they were uh the uh when he's in the past mm-hmm. um bran is bran is kind of screwing things up he's in the the present day and in the past okay and as he's in both areas there's something so dramatic happening mm-hmm. and a girl is yelling hold the door hold the door right and hodor is able to to hear this in the past okay and his brain isn't able to, to, to process it so he has a seizure and he's that way all the way until he actually okay. get to that present day okay yeah God damn. It's, it was wild. So after the present day, he becomes a normal... He doesn't have a stroke. Like, the effects of the stroke are kind of, like... I mean, he's dead. Now. Yeah. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. As soon as he gets, he catches up to present day, he's yeah. at the door and they're killing him. Oh. Well, but, that's a fucking bummer. Yeah. That's, I'm like, that's, that's why the shot was so good. You got to see in his eyes that he realizes and he's making this choice on his own. Like, he's no longer the Hodor person. He is actually the full-grown human being giving his life. Oh, I was like, whoa, bro. No, <laughs> Game of Thrones can get to you sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did. I did two things. Mm-hmm. I I bought a Captain America comic. I'm gonna talk to you about that. Uh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the new Captain America and Steve Rogers issue number one. Nice. Which is the new series after Captain America's uh, Super Soldier Serum right. broke down and he aged dramatically. Yes. And he could no longer be Captain America. Mm-hmm. Sam Wilson picked up the shield, which mm-hmm. is the Falcon. All right. In the comic series after that. Mm-hmm. And now Captain America has been re-injected with another serum. And he is now Captain America again. Okay. And I bought that issue. And the reason I bought that issue is because uh, I shit it so much. I shit so much in Captain America. Mm -hmm. And I saw a news article on Facebook and it said, Captain America now like an undercover Hydra agent. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this shit? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I got to read this. Yeah. So, in the last panel of the comic, Captain mm-hmm. America says, Hell Hydra. Nice. Which, if you like looking at Captain America, say, Hell Hydra feels mm. kind of like Jesus going, How Hitler. Oh, you know? God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not for you. Yeah. So, I'm super excited to read that. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. I just read the news and I'm super excited to read that issue. And yeah. I'm probably, that's probably going to be the one comic issue that I'm going to buy all the way through just because nice. I want to see where the fuck they take this because it's Hell insane. Yeah. He's got a new shield and it's fucking cool. I'm with it. Right. What it. were you gonna say about the comics? I'm I'm gonna have a, a long way around mm-hmm. this. <laughs> All right. Um, because, I'm gonna give you two minutes. Yo, we got yeah. not even that. Right. Um, you know how I am about um about bashing anything. Like right. anytime somebody says something is bad, I'm like, have you seen it? You right. know. I'm like, well, what do you like about this thing that is bad? You know. All right. So um, a couple of days ago, I'm in the house and we're listening to instrumentals, like hip hop instrumentals, right. without any words to it. One of the song comes up and is Notorious B.I.G.'s Hypnotize. Right. The 
uh, that song. Mm-hmm. So uh, as it's playing, my homeboy's like, I've always hated that song. I've never liked this song. I'm like, it's from a historic legend, a Notorious right. B.I.G. Like, you don't like the song at all? He's like, no, it never did it for me. So as this instrumental is playing, I start rapping along the words, every single word, mm-hmm. and then he joins in with me and <laughs> spits every single word to the song. And then after we got done, I turned over to him and I gave him like the, the fist bump, bring yeah. it in type thing. I was like, I got so much more respect for that guy now because mm-hmm. it's one thing to be like, say that you don't like something. Right. It's another thing to know everything about it and you Still know that like you don't it. like it. Right. Exactly. So with the Captain America, it's like I have to live with my girlfriend who's a Captain America yeah. freak. So it's like I have enough information <laughs> to make a decision that I don't fuck with Captain America. Right. So when I seen the Captain America book on your, on your desk downstairs, yeah new level of respect yeah, you know what I'm saying no. like if you're gonna shit on something then dive all the way into it and make a conscious decision whether yeah. it's for you or not and, and I've always found the comic world super interesting and I feel like this is my way into it so nice. I'm super excited for it Hell but yeah. yeah no I feel you if you're gonna hate on something fucking do, read it watch yeah. it yeah. listen to it Hell yeah. Uh, alright we're gonna go into like the little musical break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about Barton Fink and The Hot Soccer Proxy yes yes two of the most different movies that I've seen back to back and they're a lot of fun So we'll get to that in a second. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) He's just like shimming in his fucking seat. (laughs) "Mm, mm, mm." Anyway, welcome back. Uh, We're back from the little 15-second commercial break that you got, whatever, five seconds. And we are going to talk about two really amazing movies Mm. by two really amazing directors. Yeah. Uh, the Coen Brothers, yes. and we're talking about, like I said before, Barton Fink mm-hmm. and Hot Sucker Proxy. Yeah. Now, and th- this movies were fascinating to me because they were mm-hmm. done back to back. Yep. I didn't know that they were done back to back. Yeah. And they are some of the most different filmmaking that you're ever gonna get from the same director back to back movies. I mean, it's insane yeah. the yeah. drastic change into this. So before we say anything, which movie did you prefer of the two? I prefer. Um I prefer a Hud Sucker Proxy, but mm-hmm. Barton Fink is a much better movie. Right. It's much better. I think I prefer Barton Fink, mm-hmm. and I think that Hot Sucker Proxy was a huge risk creatively. Yeah, it was. And I respect them for doing it and yeah. for doing it as well as they did. Yeah. But for me, Barton Fink is also the better movie. But Barton Fink is, yes, it's yeah. clearly the better movie. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that about with this. Um. So let's just give a quick rundown of the plot in case someone doesn't know what we're talking oh, about. Oh, and the people in it and everything. And the people in it, yeah. Yeah. You have all that information. I just have like notes about the actual movie and the editing styles mm-hmm. and whatever. So let's give me a rundown of like who's in, in who's in, in each movie. In Barton Fink, yeah. In Barton Fink Barton. first. All right. Uh, Barton Fink is uh, made in 1991, starring uh, John Turturro. If mm-hmm. you might know this guy from uh, Do the Right Thing, that's a um, a Spike Lee movie. That's right. the shit. You might know him <laughs> from Mo Better Blues. That's right. another Spike Lee movie. And you might also know him from Jungle Fever, another nice. Spike Lee movie. movie. So you he's know. worked a lot with Spike Lee. He has, yeah. He worked a lot with Spike Lee. Then uh, the next one, the uh, the co-star is John Goodman. John Goodman. I have in my notes, I have about five places where I wrote, God, I fucking love John Goodman. Yeah, he is. So good. Hell yeah. Uh, John Goodman, you'll know him from Inside Lewin Davis, uh, The Big Lebowski, yep. Roseanne, countless other things. I mean, he's a household He's been name. good. Yeah. He's he, he was recently in 10 Cloverfield Lane, yep. one of the better movies of 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, household name. He's, he's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, Michael Lerner, he played uh, Jack Lipnick. Right. And uh, and Barton Fink, he's been in Harlem Nights, one of my favorite movies ever. It's um, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, all the black comedians that were good. That was in 1989. Nice. He um, he was in Blank Check. 
Mm-hmm. Do you remember this movie? Uh, huh? 1994. It was about a little kid who um, who gets a blank check and then he like spends millions of dollars of a billionaire's <laughs> money or whatever. Damn. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, Clueless, the television right. show from 96. He played um, Sharon Stone's fake dad okay. in the show. Uh, other than that, then uh, John Mahoney. John Mahoney. This guy right here. Uh, John Mahoney, he was in the Hudsucker Proxy. Yes. And he too. was in Barton Fink. Was he in the Hudsucker Proxy? Was he Hudsucker? Uh, he was the um, he was the chief. The chief of police. Well, the uh, chief... Um, Editor. Ed, Chief Editor. Chief Editor. Yeah. Right. That guy has some of the best way to deliver dialogue that I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. I mean, he is... Who was he in uh, in, in, Bar- in Barton? Oh, he was the best character in Barton Fink. Uh, I... You gotta, you gotta <laughs> be was, more specific than that. He was the best character. All right, you know, um, he, he's um, Barton Fink has writer's block, and then he goes to who he considers the greatest writer around. Oh, he was Bill Mayhew. Yes. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, w- WP Mayhew. Yeah, William. yeah, WP yep. Mayhew. That's Mayhew. insane. Yes. I didn't even recognize him in either movie. Yeah, he was a drunk ass walking up and down the road singing bullshit. He was a piece of shit. And then, and then in, in Hudsucker Proxy, like I said, three years later, mm-hmm. he played a fast talking uh, chief editor right. going back and forth with Jennifer Jason Lee. To- that, was that her, Jennifer Jason Lee? Yep. Holy fuck! Yeah, man. I don't recognize any of these people. <laughs> yeah. They're so they're so into their like the persona mm-hmm. that they are portraying in other movie that it's like difficult to tell them apart. Yeah. And uh, Steve Buscemi is also <laughs> in um, <laughs> in Born Thing from '91. Fucking love that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shat. That was probably He's my Chet. favorite yeah. addition to the movie. Yeah. Because it was the only thing that was like out of place realistically mm-hmm. like it wasn't a direct depiction of real life he was always at the desk he was always there when he picked up when he called the phone mm-hmm. he was always there and yeah. it was beautiful yeah yeah um i just want to say my favorite thing about barton fink mm-hmm. is that everyone was an asshole everyone in that movie is a piece of shit except for charlie for me charlie <laughs> like seriously yeah. like charlie the murdering person yeah. i think he's the most like i related to him he's the one that didn't want anything out of anyone exactly he's the he's definitely the one that least manipulated people yeah like he he wanted to to help like and i just identify with that as a younger yeah. person like always doing for other people do this for other people do this for a person how are you doing and it's like you can manipulate people that way by talking to the people about their favorite favorite subject right themselves you yeah. know, that's what most people's favorite subject is themselves. So if you go into a room and talk to somebody about themselves, they'll yap your ear off and then really not really ask you about yourself at all. Right. And yeah. that was the that was the biggest thing for me, because, like, OK, first of all, the Coen brothers, hmm? they like awkward. Yeah, right. They, they love they swim in that shit. They live in that. Shit. And Barton Fink is loaded with awkward, but it's not comedic awkwardness mm-hmm. as in Hot Sucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more. It's, it's it's used for, I think, dramatic comedy yeah for me because they want you to laugh at the awkward mm-hmm. but then they throw in some serious dialogue in there and you're like was that was that funny was that supposed to be funny <laughs> yeah. and then you as an audience you're confused about the tone in the best way possible mm-hmm. because like bard and fink you don't know whether how you should handle the social interaction that's yeah. happening yeah so you get drawn into the movie so the coin brothers in terms of like dialogue delivery editing rhythm mm-hmm. and just how they shoot they cover a scene for mm-hmm. dialogue mm-hmm. is one of the most impressive things that i've ever seen in both of those movies yeah i have to give them a little more credit now because remember I, I went to see hell Caesar, then came back and right. i was like ah, oh, it might have been a good movie but it wasn't for me and now i kind of get their thing like right. after having seen so many of their movies i think i've seen them all now but um they're super into period pieces man yeah like both of these movies are period pieces yeah, that's another absolutely. um another comparison between them uh, Barton Fink takes place in 1940, and then Hudsucker Proxy takes place in 1959. Yep. And then you have um, they have two other period pieces. Even uh, the Big Lebowski takes Big, place in 1970. Big Lebowski, the um, 
Miller's Crossing. Right. That's their big jump off movie right before this right here. It was mm-hmm. uh, Miller Miller's Crossing, then uh, Hudsucker, not Hudsucker, um, Barton Fink, then Hudsucker Proxy, then their big on the scene movie in Fargo. Fargo. That's when everything broke out right there at Fargo. Fargo's a good one. Hell yeah, hell yeah. But we're right in between. We're right in right. between that Miller's Crossing and that Fargo. We're talking about those movies right in between. Here's the thing. What do you define as the Coen Brothers style? Like, what do you think is their style? Ooh. Because I, I, I have an idea. It's detail. Detail. Right? Yeah. The, the devil is in the detail for mm-hmm. the Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. But they don't do it in a way that makes the audience feel stupid. No. Right? They present the details to you and you get them. Mm-hmm. And having the time, you're wondering, oh, why the fuck is that happening? Yeah. Um, like uh, like the painting in Barton Fink. Which one? Oh, He, he has a God. painting in the, yeah. in, on top of his desk mm-hmm. about a lady looking at the beach. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he's walking around the beach with what's presumably the redhead's head yeah. <laughs> and a bag. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad they never let us see what's inside yeah, the Yeah, they never let us see what's inside I'm it. so glad they didn't. Because uh, it didn't matter. It did Because that wasn't the point. Yep. Uh, and so they they every time that he has writer's block, he focused on that painting. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie, I was like, what the fuck is up with the painting? Yeah. And then in the last shot of the movie, it was like, oh, it's like he's... And a place where he feels comfortable now. Yeah, yeah. That they wanted to end the character being comfortable after going through all of this shit. Mm-hmm. So they put the painting in your point of view every time he got writer's block. So you knew that it was a happy place. Mm-hmm. And then re like reiterated that shot yeah. at the end. And it was a beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. th- it doesn't make the audience feel stupid. Nope. Uh, it doesn't make the audience uh, feel like they don't know what's going on in the movie. They mm-hmm. know something's up, but they don't know what it is. It's a great reveal. Mm-hmm. It's got great energy about it, great delivery. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to be able to follow a filmmaker's thought process while not knowing what the thought process is going to conclude sure. into. Because sure. right now when we watch a movie, mm-hmm. we, we watch Captain America Civil War, mm-hmm. I knew exactly what the fuck was going to happen before it happened. Yeah. And it's not anything wrong with it, but it's just not exciting anymore. Nope. Uh, going back to watch Barton Fink, mm. my fa- I didn't even know that it was going to be a m- murder movie. I went half through the movie thing, which is going to be like, hey, this guy has writer's block. Mm. And then suddenly the fucking redhead is dead. I'm like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. I, <laughs> I had to go back my first time watching it. I didn't know there was going to be like a murder mystery, anything yeah. like that. But I knew something was up with uh, John Goodman's character. Yeah, I knew he was weird. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, I knew that something was going to happen to Barton because mm. of John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know, I didn't know it was going to be fucking murder. Murder. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. It's insane. That was a great way to throw your audience off of the trail of the movie. Yeah. You set up an expectation. And then you fuck it. Yeah. Uh, which, again, it, I mean, it's just great filmmaking. It is. I think. It's awesome. It is. Um, um, what I, the, the, another comparison between the two is symbolism. Symbolism. Symbolism hardcore in both of them. On um, Barton Fink, uh, Charlie, whenever they, they would use heat to mm. uh, symbolize um, energy or hatred or anger or fear. And so ev- whenever, whenever Charlie got really angry, then the room would heat up. The room would just start sweating until you got to the conclusion to where the, the hallway is just on fire. Right. Everything from his anger. And then at one point you see pus, you know, dripping Going out of his, his ear. ear you know? Which is parallel to when the wallpaper starts it's sweating. Yep. Uh, the glue comes out yep. and the wallpaper falls off. It was the same. Mm-hmm. It's like the veneer has fallen off of John Goodman. Mm-hmm. That's what I got from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the symbolism between that, you know, the, the heat and mm-hmm. the, his anger. And then switching to Hud Circle Proxy, the symbolism of circles. Mm-hmm. You know how the, he's going back and forth between thing being linear and uh, circular. Mm-hmm. You, we know with uh, being a cycle. Right. All right. With life being a cycle. At the very beginning of the movie, have you seen that um, Tim Robbins... Oh, I haven't 
talked about who's going to oh, yeah, be yeah. Run down to uh, the... HUD Circuit Proxy 1994 with uh, Tim Robbins. Um, you may have not have seen him in anything else besides Wait, Shawshank Redemption. The main character was Tim Robbins? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. What the fuck? <laughs> I, didn't look, I didn't look up anything out of the movies. I just watched them. Yeah. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption, uh, he was in that from 1994. Mm-hmm. He played Norville, main character. Uh, the next one was uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. You'll know her from The Hateful Eight. Yep. She was in a show called Weeds that I really, really like. This is the second movie that I've seen from her. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, man. I haven't yeah. seen a lot of her work. She was she was like my favorite underground actress who I was saying was the best actress in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as she got the Hateful Eight gig, I'm like, all right, now people know who you are so I could jump off the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Let me find another person. Yeah. <laughs> another, you know, it's, um, it's Elle Fanning, by the way. So. Elle, yeah, I, I don't blame him. <laughs> the... Um, and then you might have seen in The Machinist, a 2004 right. movie with Christian Bale. Yep. She played Amy Archer in the movie. Okay. Paul Newman. Paul Newman was um, was uh, Sidney Musburger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he he played, he was in The Sting from 1973, one of my favorite Sidney movies. Sidney Musburger was the, the skinny guy that always had a cigar. He was pretty yep. much the, okay, yeah. Yeah, he was the dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul Newman. Great played, character. Hell yeah. Awesome character. Hell yeah. Um, and he was also in Bush, uh, Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid right. uh, in 1969. Uh, and then finally, John Mahoney, he was in both Barton Fink and Hudsucker Proxy mm-hmm. as the chief editor in, uh, in Hudsucker. Nice. Now, they gave them $25 million to make Hudsucker Proxy. Really? Off the um, off the steam of Barton Fink. Nice. You know, it, it did so well in Cannes Film, Film Festival. It did so well in Sundance. They gave them $25 million to make their actual first blockbuster film. And they made $3 million back domestically. Yeah. Well, it's not it's not a movie. It's It's really... It was such a huge, such a huge risk of a movie. Yeah, because like Barton Fink. I mean, it was a it was a drama. It was funny. It was awkward. It had mm-hmm. the great rhythm mm-hmm. that the Coen Brothers are now known for, particularly yeah. especially when the two cops interviewed Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the two cops had rhythm like crazy. It mm-hmm. had musicality to it. Yep, and that kind of stuff didn't really play out in Barton Fink as mm-hmm. much because it was a more sort of. The, subdued uh, project in that, I think. I mean, the well, I'm going to disagree a little bit because right. Jennifer Jason Lee and John Mahoney, mm-hmm. like that's what it was all about. Like they're yeah. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like quick conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that's I've seen heavy corn brothers between those two police officers that were um, interrogating uh, mm-hmm. Barton Fink. Yeah, the same, the same way they were going that back and forth, quick dial, quick pace dialogue. Mm-hmm. I've seen that between Jennifer Jason Lee and the chief. Well, editor. that's what that's what that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like in in Barton Fink, you really only see it between those two cops. Mm-hmm. That rhythm musical sort of dialogue, cut, 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 re- shot, reverse shot. Yeah. You really only see it in that scene in Barton Fink. With those officers. And yeah. the rest, it's kind of subdued throughout the whole movie because mm-hmm. it's a huge risk to do a whole movie in that style. Yeah. Because it throws people off. It's not a real depicting. And it didn't fall in with the tone of Barton Fink, I think. No, yeah, not but, with Barton Fink at all. Uh, mm-hmm. For Hot Sucker Proxy, mm-hmm. that's the only type of dialogue you get. Yeah. It's rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's music. It's it's a musical quality to mm-hmm. it that's hard to like explain. I mean, it's uh, a period piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But mm-hmm. not only is it a period piece, it's a super stylized yes. period piece. Oh yeah, where the period matters very little, really. What? That movie could have been in modern times, and you can still get sort of the similar dialogue scenes, and it would have been. It would have been awkward because I mean yeah. I've seen. I mean that's 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 what their whole thing is. It's like mm-hmm. they're they love movies like Tarantino loves yeah. movies, you know. So I mean they like to watch. They have to make movies that emulate old Hollywood. Yep. So a lot of those movies from the forties, fifties, and sixties had that quick paced dialogue going mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So if it was like set in nineteen ninety and people are speaking that way, then I'm yeah. like, what the fuck is this about? It would have been weird, <laughs> yeah. but for me, it would have still worked. 
Okay. It would have still worked for me. All right. Because I, I forgot about the time setting mm. five minutes into the movie. Okay. Because maybe they were just good at the depicting a world, mm. but I forgot about the setting five minutes into the movie. Because for me, it wasn't about it wasn't about how they interact with the world. It was about how they interacted with each other. Okay. And that's where that movie comes from for me. I, I, I love Barton Fink as a movie, mm. right? But I love Hot Sucker Proxy as a study into editing and rhythm of writing, right? I mean, what... Beside, like, as a casual movie goer, mm-hmm. what could you pull from that? Like, not as like an editor or a director from Hot Sucker Proxy. Yeah, I would just think it was like a weird, funny movie. If I was a casual movie goer, I was mm. like, okay, it was a weird, dark humor movie. That's what I would have gotten out of from that. Oh, okay. And from Barton Fink, I would have gone like, it was an interesting movie with a twist. If I had been like a casual, if I didn't like to study films, mm. I just mean like, well, there were good movies, there were interesting movies. Yeah. Uh, Barton Fink had the better plot, the better mm. story, the mm. better, you know, everything. Okay. But Hot Sucker Proxy was funny and interesting, and it was new. All right. Well, yeah. Um, I'm good. My, my my things that I really loved about mm-hmm. Hot Sucker Proxy, I um, talked about the symbolism with the circles. Right. So, you know, you got Tim Robbins, and he's like this poor hick that comes into town from nowhere. And on this piece of paper he carries around, it has a circle on it. Right. And he's showing it to everyone that he can get a chance to, showing this circle. And he was like, you know. For kids, for kids, you know, they're like, "What the fuck?" You know, for kids, right. and, you know, he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about, and he continues to show this thing over and over and over, and people just think he's a complete idiot. You're right. Till um, till one day he um, he gets a blue letter, and I mean that the comedy in that shit is brilliant to me, man. Yeah, it's insane. A guy walks in with a blue letter, and you, all you see is a long hallway, and everybody scatters. There's no <laughs> one else around as this guy walks down with the blue letter, but uh, Tim Robbins' character is just so. Like hickish, like I say, he's not from the area, so right. he know, doesn't know what's going on. Well, he's so, an idiot. Yeah, he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. basically. Well, to an by extent. Means, to an extent. Yeah. He's he's an idiot by the time the movie starts. That would classify him as that. I, I guess uh, idiot yeah. savant, maybe, because I mean, in the movie, mm-hmm. he created one of the most all-time selling toys in history. Well, that's the yeah. thing. For me, that's the twist of the movie. Yeah. It was like you got an idiot that had a really good idea. He had two. And two really good ideas. Yeah. And then finish your train of thought. Finish <laughs> yeah. your train of thought. I'm sorry. Because I mean, it's like I, I wanted to say he's an idiot, but it's yeah. like he's continuing to make good idea after good idea, yeah. and it's almost making me feel like the person that is being shitted on all the mm-hmm. time ha- that has a good idea, but nobody's paying attention to them. Right. You know that type of person. So um, eventually, he takes his that blue letter all the way upstairs to the um, to a guy, and basically, his people are getting fired because the guy mm-hmm. just jumped out of the forty fifth floor, <laughs> yeah. forty fourth fourth. Basically, 44th. they have a they have a big whole thing about that the forty yeah. fourth or forty fifth floor. Um, jumps out or whatever so they need some dupe some nobody guy to be the head of the company you know so people the public people don't go buying the shares since the head guy just died mm-hmm. so they put Tim Robbins in charge and he's and he's gonna take his circle drawing and be the biggest thing on earth so basically what this circle is um, it's a hula hoop yeah you know pretty much it's, it's, a, it's a hula hoop what this circle is and when they finally figure out what it is it was like so what the fuck do you do with it you know <laughs> And they try to sell it, you know, for five dollars a piece and four dollars, and that's another good thing about the editing in that, you know, you're showing it from three dollars, four dollars, three dollars, two dollars, one dollar ninety nine cents, free for other purchase. Yes, you know, it's, it's the guy at the end just fucking throws them out of the ho- the, the alley. Yes, and, it's great rhythm. It's oh, yes. super great rhythm. Also, I just want to before you you continue on that train of thought, mm-hmm. my favorite cut in that movie is. Mm-hmm. It's right in that scene before he's presenting the hula hoop. Yeah. He's about to have sex with uh, the reporter. Yeah. Uh, and they cut, <laughs> and it looks like he's humping. And then it's him doing the hula, the hula hoop thing. <laughs> and I have laughed my ass off at that fucking cut. Yeah. <laughs> it's so kids, great. You know? It's like, you know, for kids. My, my favorite shot in there is um, 
so after they can't sell any of the hula mm-hmm. hoops and then he just throws all of them out into the street. Yeah. Every shot is so bland and unsaturated um, before that point. Mm-hmm. And then you get to see the little kid, like six or seven, yeah. he picks up a bright red hula hoop and starts a hula hoop it around yeah. and all the kids are staring at him and you just see the focus of that. It's the first time you see the brilliance of any color right. in, in that movie, in that hula hoop and everybody is just entranced and fascinated yeah. in it. Then the hula hoop takes off. Right, because you know? everything is everything is sort of blue and muted mm-hmm. and gray mm-hmm. in the movie because it's supposed to be a parody of like the executive world. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's what the colors mean and then the hula comes in and it just changes the whole tone of the movie it does yeah it does and it, uh, i think hot sucker proxy plot wise mm. okay movie story wise okay movie yeah, okay uh editing wise amazing movie oh yeah if you're an editor and mm. you want to understand rhythm oh yeah from how does a scene work how do you how do you make a scene interesting mm. hot sucker proxy is one of the movies that you should absolutely watch my yeah. favorite editing sequence in that movie is yeah. when they're coming up with the idea of hiring an idiot so that the yeah. stocks fall. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> whoa, they start asking questions like, will it work? And then they just keep cutting into everyone a second. Yeah. Would it work? I think it might work. Is it going to work? It's working already. <laughs> it's already working. <laughs> it's like just the rhythm of that fucking scene. It's the moment someone stops talking, they cut to the other person. Yeah. And he says something. And then they cut to the other person. And he says something. Very fast paced. And the only time that breaks is when they want a reaction shot. And that reaction matters for some reason. Yeah. For example, the scene where Tim Robbins is like trying to play the hot shot, trying to impl- impress uh, Jennifer Jason Lee Yeah. Into having, into pretty much sleeping with him. Yeah. Uh, by pretending that he knows something about the lady that wrote the article about him, yeah. which turned out to also be, be Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. So he offends the shit out of Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. and at the end she slaps him, right? Yeah. But the dialogue in that scene is very monologue mm. but the point of, like, you know, you have the editing that's super fast-paced, and then mm. you have this very slow editing mm. where it's him talking to Jennifer Jason Lee, standing up from his desk, and walking to Jennifer Jason Lee as he's saying is this super offensive monologue. Yeah. And and then it cuts to her standing listening to him mm-hmm. and it just holds for about half a second. Yeah. And she slaps the shit out of him <laughs> and walks away. Yes. And you're like, holy shit, what? Yeah. <laughs> that like uh, I just want to yeah. gush over the editing of all of their movies. I'm, I'm going to get a little technical too. Yeah. I like to stay a little way, way from tech. Cause I mean, uh, we, we, we can get technical, but I don't right. know how many of our listeners get technical, but I'm right. about to do that shit. Yeah. I, think, right. I think you should you feel free to get technical Just Just, you're on, on this right here because yeah. yeah. All right. On, um, on Barton Fink. Yeah. That was some of the best sound that oh, I had heard God, in any yes. movie that I've ever heard. Because details, like I said, what makes uh, Coen Brothers is details for me. Mm-hmm. And in this one, the sound was amazing. Like I put the uh, my little earbuds in mm-hmm. and turned the volume all the way up. Right. All right. So every time the, um, you see the suction of the door because of the hallway. So yeah. every time that you open up the door, <laughs> you know, because it's just sucking the, the yeah. air is sucking it in. And you can hear it. You can hear the pipes going through through the walls. You can, I mean, it's. The sound is amazing, bro. It, it is incredibly well designed. Yes. I mean, what, whoever did that sound, honestly, deserves any commendation that they want to throw this way. Because mm-hmm. and, and my favorite bit of sound design in this movie was, you know, at the end when the cops are in, in Barton Fing's hotel, mm-hmm. they, they've handcuffed them to the bed. Yeah. And that's before everybody starts realizing, oh, it's getting hot. Yeah. Barton says, oh, it's hot in here. Yeah. I have a headache. Mm. And then you start here crackling. Yeah. And you're not sure where what it's was, coming from. Exactly. Yeah. Like, 
the fuck is that noise? And then you have the cop go out of the door and then they close up on the ridge of the elevator mm-hmm. and you see small flames and you're like, ah, fuck. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Everyone's gonna die. What did you think about that? Because like at the time, because he's he's sitting there and he gets handcuffed. He was mm-hmm. like, um, it's getting hot again. Charlie's gonna come back, you know. And then right. He, yeah. he goes out into the hallway and he sees the flame coming from out of the elevator. I'm thinking that Charlie just set the whole building on fire. Yeah. You know, like, I'm That's not. What under- I'm thinking. That's what he did. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, Charlie's back. Yeah. Yeah. I I knew at that moment that uh, also the movie does a great job mm-hmm. at introducing you to John Goodman's character, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Charlie, Charlie, whatever the fuck, forgot his Charlie. Name. Um, Charlie Meadows right Charlie Meadows they do a great job of introducing him as Charlie Meadows yeah and the first time you see him the first shot you get of him is threatening yeah it's like did you just complain about the thing the noise and (laughs) you see it's like oh fuck this guy's like 400 pounds what the fuck is he gonna do yeah and Barton's awkward and he just fucking barged in into Barton's apartment and Mm. starts talking with this guy about the shit that he wants to talk to and you see him getting annoyed every time Barton interrupts him. Yeah. There's a moment where he says, hell yeah, I could tell you some stories Mm -hmm. and Barton interrupts him two times after he said that and you can see him. And I was like, oh, this nigga's going to go down. That's why I was I was looking at it. So I'm like, this character, yeah. Barton Fink, does not understand body language. She doesn't, is not able to read the room. Right. He doesn't understand what's going on. Because even when John Goodman or Charlie is like, I want to wrestle and pins him, right. it's not because he wants to have fun. He's like, I'm about to show this little fuck what's was really going on. Exactly. Yeah. It was a way to get dominance back in the scene. And yeah. he got it. Without actually showing his card. Right. You know? Like, he like, got it. Yeah. And it was terrifyingly good. But here's mm-hmm. the thing about characters. I don't want to talk about the Coen brothers, yeah uh characters in the coen brothers movies are very not they're not one-dimensional right but they play one angle really really hard Mm. that's what they do um so (laughs) fucking in barton fink he's the writer he's sort of the awkward he's got great brilliance in his mind about writing about people yeah and he sort of thinks that he wants to identify with the common folk Mm. but he's not really one of the common folk he's like an own he's like an outsider watching into a group Mm. Which really good understanding of the group, but he's not part of the group. He's not. And no one, nobody considers him part of the group. Nope. And that's, I feel, this is great trauma with being a person. Mm. He wants to be the common man. He's obsessed with the idea of fishmongers and uh, this pe- hardworking people. But mm. he keeps referring, the language that he uses is always, well, I have respect for hardworking people like you. Mm. And I was like, well, you're not one of those hardworking people. There's a dissonance between his language and what he thinks. It is. And that's what I think was the cause of his writer's block. Because he was trying to write a movie about someone that was a common man mm-hmm. while realizing that he's no longer a common man because now he's working for the pictures. And I feel like his, his being self-absorbed. He yeah. was so self-absorbed, like I said, to not understand like um, just context clues right. from another person, another human being that's trying to open up around you. And then that, that also comes out when um, he finally finishes writing mm-hmm. the uh, that piece and he goes to a party and he's dancing with a, a woman. Yes. And then he's telling every member of the military, I'm more important than you. I'm more important than you. I'm a writer. I'm important. Everybody, you know what I'm saying? So like that that other thing, that, that selfish. He uses the word, I'm a creator. I'm a creator. So yeah. he is equaling, equaling himself to, to God. To a God, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which he's not wrong. That's what writers do. But he's being a shit about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, to feel like you're better than another human <laughs> yeah. being, you're a piece of shit. If, but you know, that's what I liked about this movie because no one was really a good person mm-hmm. except for John Goodman's character. Is, and he, he was, was a the, murderer. He, yeah, <laughs> he was the one that had the least agenda, yeah. the least of an agenda. His only agenda was to make other people's lives easier. Right. That was it. And it's and it's insane how it happens mm-hmm. and just the progression from like. All right, threatening John Goodman. You get a threatening John Goodman at the beginning, and then you get like a really sweet John Goodman in the, in middle. the middle. Yeah. 
And then you get a really threatening John Goodman at the I, end. I love him at the end. He was like, Bart Fink's like, but why me then? Why me? Because you don't listen. Right? <laughs> it's such like, a great fuck. scene. I fucking love Bart and Fink as a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, even if I was just a normal, like, not film student person, mm-hmm. I would love Bart and Fink as a movie. It's a really good movie. But I wouldn't really understand why it works as a movie. Okay. And after watching The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. after watching Hot Sucker Proxy mm-hmm. and Bart and Fink, yep. I can easily say that it's purely because of the direction. Yeah. This movie is incredibly well-directed. And writing, and writing. And writing. Got to give him some writing. Direction and writing. Yeah. Uh, those movies are incredibly well-directed and mm-hmm. well-written. Oh, yeah. And the like I said, the rhythm. It all comes back to the rhythm. Mm-hmm. If those movies didn't have the rhythm, you wouldn't feel half the tension that you feel from these characters. No. Because the tension from these characters come from trying to understand each other's rhythm yeah. and fighting to see which rhythm wins the scene. Yeah. So you got, and for example, in Hot Sucker Proxy, you got the chief fighting with Jennifer Jason Lee all the time. They, I know. They have <laughs> cool, two different man. rhythm. They have two different rhythms yeah. and they're clashing with each other. And that's where the tension from those characters come from. Yeah. And I feel like that's what I saw in, in Barton Fink just on a much subdued, subtle level. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, freak, I fucking I was, love this movie. I'm sorry. I was freaking out. The no, you're fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I don't know what to say anymore. Ah, uh, sorry. I'm an asshole. <laughs> um. <laughs> like I'm. The, I listen to the podcast like all yeah. the time, and I clapped one time, right. and I listened to it in the cars. Oh, very loud. <laughs> right. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God. Um. I don't have much more. Um, Hudsucker Proxy, like I said, personally, I loved it just because it's goofball, mm-hmm. more almost slapstick, very weird. It, like I said, I know I recognize that this isn't a very good movie. I no, recognize, it's not. It's, I it's... recognize that it is not. But I love the Coen Brothers, and just like our um, one of our professors, Lon Bumgarner, said, mm-hmm. he's been a part of over 170 some odd productions Mm -hmm. and there's only seven of them that he would actually give to you that he respected all the way around right but you can't have those seven without the other 170 so with the corn brothers they're they're some uh, some of my favorite directors and i can't have the big lebowski without barton fink i can't Mm -hmm. have fargo without miller's crossing Mm -hmm. i can't have the damn um Hell Caesar, Caesar without Hutsucker proxy, right. you know. So I'm like, I you you need it all. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a level of exploration mm-hmm. that comes with these movies. Yeah, and I think that you can see it evolve throughout their styles, and mm-hmm. you can see that the risks that they took in Hutsucker proxy mm-hmm. that worked, they kept them when they did Fargo. Yeah, and the risks that they took in Barton Fink mm-hmm. that worked, they kept them when they did Fargo. Mm-hmm. Fargo was like their big hit. That was a big one, yeah. So I feel like these the movies that led up to Fargo are a lot of like experimentation. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, can I go a hundred percent with this style? Can I go hundred percent with this style? Yeah. What worked from this style? What do people like from this one? Can we learn from these movies and then we can mix them into one? Yeah. And then we got Fargo, we got the Big Lebowski, we got the rest of the movies. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to see that level of craft and someone. I love watching someone do work mm-hmm. that knows how to do their work. Oh yeah. And it, the Coen Brothers are a perfect example of that. By it's far. incredible. Oh yeah. And it's just good. It's just good to see a good director and a good writer. And just, it's good to see a good team of people get together to make a good product. That's I, it. Like every time I watch one of the movies, I mm-hmm. selfishly want them to split up. <laughs> like, I want Ethan to do his own movie and Joel to do his own movie, right. movie, so I can see where the inspiration is coming from. You know, from each person, so right. I can break it down. You know, but so you can understand it a little bit better. Yeah, there's a lot of like I want to understand filmmakers mm-hmm. as a as a future filmmaker. Yeah, there's a lot that you're like ah, I want to know what the fuck does that why why yeah. why do you do this? Yeah, 
There's a lot of that. And the Coen brothers are my favorite people to look at that. Mm. Still, the, my favorite movie from them is The Big Lebowski. Mm. But Barton Fink is a close second. All right. And Hot Sucker Proxy, uh, just, I, I, I didn't really like it. I don't, but there's was, not many people that will. so well edited and it's, so well done. You got a level, a higher level of respect yeah. for me because you watched the movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Corn Brothers, they have 15 some odd movies, mm-hmm. but people are, if like if I have a conversation with somebody, have you seen Big Lebowski? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, you know, like they're, they're Big Fargo? Yes. But then there's 14 other movies that they've had that are just, amazing in, in, its, in its own right. Yeah. Hudsucker Proxy has some amazing aspects in it, mm-hmm. you know, but like I said, it's not a great movie, but you need every single one of those movies to get a complete feel of what they are now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like I understand them a little bit more now. Yeah, same. And, and it's, it's really good. It's same. exciting. Yes. Uh, the next one I'm going to watch from them is Burn After Reading. Oh, God! Yes! <laughs> yes! That's my favorite really? <laughs> Corn Brothers movie. Nice. Yeah, I'll send you a clip of it and everything. Like, yeah, that's right. I fucking love that movie, man. Just like, just to close it off, Corn Brothers, if you want to study really good craft in terms of like what can rhythm do for your movie and writing? Corn Brothers are the people that you want to look to. I thought you were going to invite the Corn Brothers to the show. No. Dude, if they want to come <laughs> fucking... Dude, Ethan and Joel, get your asses here, man. Oh, we'll yeah. love to have you. You'll never be on this dude, fucking podcast. That would be <laughs> such a... <laughs> <laughs> you guys will never fucking be Hell no. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, we are going to cut and then we're going to go into our movie and television premieres mm. and we have an episode yes yes all right cool so we'll be back this Let's week do that nonsense in television premieres and movie premieres starting with May the 31st through June the 6th uh, starting Tuesday May the 31st we have mm. Maya and Marty Maya and Marty it's going to be Is that a, a- it's comedy? brand new. It's, it's a comedy. Yeah. It's going to be a uh, like a sketch comedy show in the vein of Saturday Night Live. Right, right. Yeah, I've seen the commercials in Comedy Central. I haven't seen yeah. any commercials yet. I've seen some. Yeah. They, they don't play a lot, but I've seen some. I, I hope it's going to be good, yeah. like from what I've been reading about it. But it says it's a live series by Lorne Michaels. You know, he's over Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. uh, with Maya Rudolph, Martin Short, and Kenan, my name is not in the title, Thompson. <laughs> my name is not in the title, Thompson. <laughs> no, because I mean, it's, it's called the Maya and Marty Show, but yeah. it's also starring Kenan Thompson, but he doesn't get... Like a headlining credit. That's funny. <laughs> For some reason. Well, it's like Maya and Marty and Keenan, you know. It doesn't make sense. No, I mean, yeah. a nice ring to it. No, you need that alliteration. The yeah. Maya and Marty. Like, it, it rings. <laughs> it has a ring to it. Uh, but that's May the 31st, Tuesday at 10 p.m. on NBC. Okay. The next show is a show that I haven't watched, but it's rated five stars for me on Netflix. You've seen this yet? I- I've seen three episodes. I've seen zero episodes. It wasn't... Okay, here's the thing. It's a great show. Mm. It's really well done. Mm. I just didn't care about the plot at the moment okay because i was watching too much stuff yeah yeah so like it's a good show that i i can come back to when i have an empty schedule i can definitely dig that uh peaky blonders uh starring tom hardy and cillian murphy right he was in inception tom hardy cillian Cillian Cillian. who is that who i don't know he played scarecrow in batman begins okay and he played the guy that they incepted in inception oh yeah i think that's him I mean, I, that looks like him. I don't know. Like that's, he might I, be my Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I wrote his name down there, but yeah. I was like, I've never seen this name before. I don't yeah. know what he's he, he's pretty good actor. He's okay. pretty talented and he's really good in this show. Nice. Yeah. 
And I, and I and it says Tom, when it said Tom Hardy, I was like, is he really on this show like uh, every episode person, or is he like once every five episodes because he's right. so busy? Like I, I don't, don't know. know, I haven't seen Tom yeah. Hardy in it. But I'm uh, Peaky Blinders just because I seen the name Tom Hardy attached to it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested. Yeah, you know, uh, so that's on Tuesday, May the thirty first. Uh, next gonna be Friday, June the third. Mm-hmm. Comedy Bang Bang. Comedy nice. bang bang, comedy bang bang, comedy bang bang, comedy bang bang. Com- right. um, <clears throat> that's gonna be on IFC. For anyone a- <laughs> that's wondering, he did a dance. I did the whole dance. <laughs> y'all, see, y'all have seen comedy bang bang? Like they have the song and everything. It's super cool. <laughs> uh, it's on IFC at 11 p.m. Weird Al is gonna be replacing Kid Cudi, who oh. replaced Reggie Watts. Oh, Reggie. Yeah, Reggie Love Watts. Reggie. That was his. He was on the show was Comedy bummer. Bang Bang for a long time. So Weird Al's replacing. If Weird Al is jumping into something, it's going to be funny. Yes, it is. It's, yes, it's going it is. to be funny. I fucking love Weird Al. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, Weird Al, he's replacing. Kid Cudi was the uh, the co-host for two seasons. Okay. And then they changed that up and brought Weird Al in. I don't know if this is a permanent thing for Weird Al, but right. I'm going to watch it, bro. Yeah, no. Yeah, anything with Weird Al is immediately a little bit funnier. Do you, do you have a favorite Weird Al song? Uh, Why the Nerdy? White nerdy. Yeah. What is uh, white and nerdy. nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> they see me mowing my front lawn. Yeah, it's yeah. just weird. And Weird Al is just a good fucking, just wholehearted fun guy. Yes, he he's is. He's just super fun. I love him because he doesn't believe in vulgarity at all. Yeah. You're he's, never going to. He's gonna, one he, of the good ones. He's very, very good. He doesn't do any blue work at all. And I mean, as much as I swear, but mm. still, like, I like that there's something pure out there. Yeah. And he's very, he's very polite. In yeah. his parodies, yeah. like he's always gonna like, hey, can I make fun of your song? Yeah, and he always makes sure that people are okay with it, and like yep. uh, everything goes fine. There's never any legal trouble with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really good. And he like is. my favorite, my favorite song from an, from his new album yeah. is "Word Crimes." Word Crimes. Yes. Because <laughs> I send it to everyone that doesn't know how to type. Yes. <laughs> word the crimes. Love Weird Al. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be Friday, June the 3rd, Comedy Bang Bang, IFC mm-hmm. at 11 p.m. Nice. Uh, last but not least is going to be on Monday, June the 6th, mm-hmm. Angie Tribeca is coming mm-hmm. back for a second that season. That sounds really familiar. Uh, they did a first season. It's executive produced by uh, Nancy, no, St- whatever Steve Carell's wife's name is. Okay. I think it's Nancy. But uh, Steve Carell and his wife, they're executive producing it, and they wrote for Angie Tribeca. It's starring... Um, What's the uh, the the black lady? But she looks white, and you. <laughs> Jesus. She's she's black. She looks white. She has a very famous black father. Um. Not Barry Gordy. Um. Asking me about. She was she was on she was on uh, Parks and Recreation. She uh, was on The Office. She was Jim. Um, she was Jim's girlfriend on The Office. Not Pam. Not Pam. Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got that shit. I didn't know she was black. I thought she was like Indian. No, her dad is um her dad is Quincy Jones. Ah, what the fuck? Quincy Jones, what one the of the, the biggest blackest hit music producers <laughs> in the history of life. Yeah, Quincy Jones is like responsible for so many children out here because of the music that he put out <laughs> in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Jesus. Yeah, well, that's that's his yeah, daughter. Rashida Jones is is insanely talented. We 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 had this. Um, you know how like they had on uh, Dave Chappelle the racial draft, right? And, <laughs> and we, so we, excited for this. We, we were talking about like, could we claim and uh, could we claim Rashida Jones is black? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because because she, she's white for all intents and purposes. She's yeah. white. You know what I'm saying? Every, every TV she's on, she's always opposite another white person. Mm-hmm. If you look at her, you automatically assume she's white. Like I did too. Right. You know, but I mean, I, I, I thought she was genuinely like Hispanic or, or, or like 
ending. Hey, okay, That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. I can see that. But yeah, we're, we're taking Rashida Jones back. You're ta- we're taking her ass back. <laughs> Y'all can, I guess we'll have to hand Eminem back to the white people. Yeah. We got to give tra- something it's back. A trade-off. We got to have a trade. It's a trade-off. It's got to be a trade-off, but... Eminem's like an honorary like black guy. Yeah, he was, you know, for a very long time. But yeah. um, he hasn't put out any good music in a while, and I think it's yeah. safe to give him back now. Yeah, we can. <laughs> like, all right, take your white guy back. I'll take, take the back. I'll take the super talented hot black lady. Yeah. Uh, no, but I just want to before we go into movie premieres, mm-hmm. Rashida Jones, mm-hmm. um, she's a real advocate for sexual abuse in the sex industry. Oh wow. Uh, she put out a documentary called Hot Girls Wanted. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, it's a Netflix original thing. Uh, and it's incredible. It's mm. an incredible documentary. It's sad as shit. Yeah. And it's a bummer to watch. Mm. But it opens the eyes of how the sex industry works. Talking about like specifically amateur porn. Okay. She made a documentary about how the girls' lives are impacted because of amateur porn. What was the name of it again? Hot Girls Wanted. Hot Girls Wanted. And it is. I couldn't finish it because I got so angry wow. <laughs> at what was happening on screen. Yeah. Like the people in this thing are scumbags. Wow. The people in this industry are shit awful people. Yeah. And Rashida Jones explores that really nicely mm. and in a really well professional tone. Yeah. And it's and it's a beautiful documentary and I recommend everyone that watches it. It's insane to me the level of vulnerability it takes just to be a woman to walk out of your house. Oh, it's insane. You know, it's like it's not something that I've ever had to live or think about. Like, I've always been aware, you know, that women are taken advantage of in so many different aspects. I mean, even to the fact that we're not paying them equally. Right. But, oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just something that we need to be a lot more aware of. Well, it's a thing that people don't talk about. Yeah. Right. So people have to start talking about it. Yeah. And that's what I think the greatest thing about the feminism movement is. Mm -hmm. It's like people are starting to talk about these things. Yes, yes. Because they have no choice because people are being really loud about it. Yeah. So... Do that. I mean, talk about it. Yeah. And someone's being a cunt. You'll be like, you're being a cunt. And I'm telling you why you're being a cunt. Yes. Do that. Fucking do that. Yeah. People like Rashida Jones making these type of documentaries are the people that we need to be talking about these things. Yeah. So do that. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to quote <clears throat> yeah. the quote directly, but you know, we're just saying um, the evil men that do nothing. Right. Yeah. You know, is if you're watching something happen, if you know of something happening, you have to say something. Right. You have to say something. I mean, there's. It's it's hard for me to even talk about it because like it's just the the thought of yeah. these many people on earth that are just being taken advantage of yep. at any instance, having their power taken from them, having their safety taken away from them, their dignity, mm-hmm. their identity as a human being. That's insane. It's, it's insane. And then you start thinking about how one particular subset of people go through this. Yeah. Then you start seeing how the Venn diagram of people starts filling in together. Yeah. And you suddenly you have transgender women. Yeah. They're having a shitstorm. Yeah. Then you have gay people. They're having a shitstorm. Yeah. And th- there's the same issues of sexual abuse, domestic abuse, uh, discrimination, all the things. It happens to every fucking body. Yeah. And we have to talk about it. Yeah. Anyways, um, uh, political shout out of the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, to keep it going, the uh, movie premieres now uh, mm-hmm. starting on June the 3rd, this weekend coming out. Pop star, never stop, never stopping. Nice. <laughs> Y'all heard about this? That and is a great title. Never stop, never stopping. You said we are never, we never stop. Mm-mm. You make that statement, and mm. then to reassure the people that you really do mean it. Yes. You add the <laughs> ing verb stopping. Stopping. We are, ne- we never stop. We are never stopping. Oh no, not that gonna is stop. a. Annoyingly redundant title. Can't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> Can't stop. P- plot twist. It's Miley Cyrus's music video. Hey, shit. It might be. <laughs> what the fuck is that movie? 
Uh, it's Adam a- Andy Samberg. Okay. Yeah, so he's making a, a complete uh, parody about uh, pop stars oh, in, the, in the millennium. It's going to be beautiful. Yes, man. It's going to be so silly. Considering the shit they did with Lonely Island. Yeah. I mean, he gets pop music. Yep. <laughs> That's going to be funny as fuck. It's going to be a complete farce. Like, I'm, I'm into that. And opening the same weekend, and the reason I'm not going to be able to see Pop Star is because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows ten is inch? coming back. The ten, the large penis Ninja Turtles. The large penis Ninja Turtles. You should just put that on the fucking label. This isn't Michael Bay, right? There's a motherfucking guy. I don't know who who uh, directed. I don't know this who the one. fuck is directing movies nowadays. Yeah. Like in the big screen, they don't get credit anymore. Yeah, I don't know who's directing this. Uh, Megan Fox is still in it. Ugh. I used to have a thing for her, man. I did too. It went away. Transformer I, fucked it up for me. It did. It did. Because I I thought she was fine, even in Jennifer's Body, which is not a good movie. It's not. I thought she was fine. She was. But then I saw Transformers Two. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, wow, she's really is not good. You know, and, and, and it's, it's not even about the way that she looks. Like, she's yeah. still hot. You know, no, objectively, no, she's, she's still a very, very attractive woman. But, like, personality and just the way that you carry yourself, even on screen, like, right. does a lot for me. There's it's no, like, every person that has acted opposite to her has very little chemistry with her. Oh, wow. And it, it shows. That's a it good shows. point out. Whoa, yeah. hell yeah. That's, and, and I don't want to, uh, listen, I don't want to say... She's a bad actress because mm-hmm. she's obviously gotten to the point where she is. Yeah, she's good by enough. being an actress. Yeah, right. Yeah, but just doesn't feel like she gives a shit when she shows up in a movie. I can see. I mean, and, that's the biggest thing from what you just said just now. That and, and I've definitely noticed that mm-hmm. you don't. They don't. That rapport is not there. Yeah. Even with um, what's your boy Shia LaBeouf? Shia, and, and Shia LaBeouf has a good rapport with, with anybody. Everything that motherfucker <laughs> adapts to everyone on screen. Yeah. That's and, that's yeah. the closest I can see between those two, but yeah, she does not have a great. And it's Shia doing most of the, like the chemistry. It is. So it is. I don't know, Megan but, Fox, you're good, but. Eh. Yeah, but I'm still gonna have to see the movie though. Yeah. I mean, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows. Megan Fox is gonna be in it. Will Arnett's in it, and um, I guess the Ninja Turtles will be in it too. I I think so. I guess uh, Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell's in it. Who's that? He plays Arrow in CW. Oh. Yep. He's a great. <sighs> he's a great superhero character mm. right he's a great actor for that kind of role okay. that kind of like buff i will kick your ass kind of witty yeah guy he's a great he's great for that i haven't i haven't seen yeah. anything he's done i heard him on a uh on a podcast on aisha tyler like a nice. year ago and i respect him as a person yeah no you he's know? great he he talked about like his months and months leading up to finally getting that arrow gig and not wanting to fuck it up and I'm always I'm I'm always impressed not more by the um because you know he had to get in super good shape he had to get oh, in yeah. excellent shape and I'm not that impressed by how much weight you can lift how many miles you can run how much you exercise but self control and discipline like this dude had to eat the same bullshit like every single day like it's hard to look like fucking Wolverine like Hugh Jackman oh, yeah. it's hard to look like these people like I've tried to look like these people I can't look like these people <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying like it's very difficult to yeah. do that. And I give Pro him a lot tip, of credit. Part yeah. of the reason why you would never be able to look like Hugh Jackman does in the mm-hmm. movies is because mm-hmm. before shooting, mm-hmm. he essentially dehydrates himself. Yeah. So his veins show up on screen. I could dehydrate my goddamn yeah. self. <laughs> 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 what, what I'm saying, I just mean like the, the meal preps before, yeah. the, the one small meal every three hours, the only drinking water, the cutting all the carbs out. Yeah, and that's then insane. Exercising on top of it. I'm like, I want to look like that. I want to fuck mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who doesn't want that? But I'm like, it's not going to happen for me. But yeah. um, but that's the end of a television and movie premieres for this week. 
Sweet. I want to give a shout out because uh, we mentioned Stephen Ammo. Mm-hmm. He's doing a Kickstarter for a, a superhero thing called Code 8, which started out as a short film. Yes. Uh, which was a really good short film, by the way. I watched it. And then they started a Kickstarter campaign, and Stephen Ammo liked it enough that he got in contact with the filmmakers mm. and said, I will help you do this. Nice. <laughs> and they've raised a shitload of money yeah. so far just because Stephen Amell's fucking face is in it. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a really, really good film. Because Stephen Amell cares about filmmaking yeah. as much as he cares about acting in, yeah. in the projects. I don't know if he's acting in the movie. I don't know what his role in Code 8 is. Yeah. But I do know that his face is attached to it. He's has been promoting and doing blogs about it. And if you want to check out Code 8, Mm-hmm. You can find it on Kickstarter under Code 8 or just Google Code 8 and you will find a plethora of shit that has been said about this movie. Man, that, it's good. that's very encouraging. Yeah. You know, I mean, when when people work hard and, and put their time and energy into something, like I, I just hate when, when people put so much into it and they never get recognition. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about fame, fortune, and money. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying you're putting so much effort into it and it's just dying on the shelf. Yeah. You know, it never gets to see the light of day. And... I'm glad that won't be the case with uh, Code 8. With this guy's. Yeah, and uh, the filmmakers, they're, I think this is the first actual full thing yeah. that they've been working on. Yeah. And I can tell that they're busting their asses nice. doing this. So nice. I want to give them a shout out. If you haven't heard about Code 8, check it out. Hell Stephen yeah. Mamel's involved in it. And even, I think they've raised most of their money or their campaign has ended. Mm-hmm. But keep in touch with what they're doing. It's inspiring for independent filmmakers. All Definitely. Around. Hell yeah. So with, on that note, uh, thank you guys for watching. Yes, yes. Cheers. Luke.